Welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold Podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin, here again with Katie Harper to discuss all things JMU sports as we continue in what's known as crossover season with uh, plenty of spring sports getting going on, um, spring football right around the corner, and uh, basketball heading into uh, the home stretch before the postseason. Uh, we'll start out with uh, Jamie Baseball, which is probably feeling about as good as it, about itself as it's felt in, in a few years. Um, off to a good start with uh, a win at Arkansas early in the season. It went one in three in a four-game series out there, but um, to get a win against top five team, have to feel pretty good. They come home. They beat Virginia Tech at home in a, a, a walk-off fashion. They, they had a big lead early in the game, end up holding on to win that one. Um, and then they get the sweep against Fairfield. That you know, I think that's probably got to be what you have to expect from a Sunbelt caliber team is to at least win a series, if not sweep a series against teams of that caliber. So all in all, I think baseball's got to be feeling pretty good about where they are right now. They don't have the most uh, gaudy record in the Sunbelt by any means, but um, they're among the teams that I think has shown something here in the early weeks. Yeah, they're two over 500 right now, which to be completely honest with you, like, while yes, not the best record necessarily out of the Sunbelt teams, I think it's better than, honestly, what a lot of people were expecting at this point. I think that win in Arkansas helped them, obviously, kind of build on their record. But then I think going into the series with Fairfield, I'm not sure if it was necessarily expected for them to sweep. I think winning the series was a must, but to get all three was definitely a big thing for them and big for the momentum heading into another week where – they were supposed to have a game um, the, tonight when we were recording this, but uh, that George Mason game has been postponed. But they have a winnable series, a sweepable series again this weekend against Cornell. So I think last week was definitely what they needed to keep that momentum going that they had kind of picked up with the win against Arkansas and then the uh, walk-off win against Virginia Tech. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, it, it's important, I think, for them to beat the teams that they should beat. You know, I had a discussion with somebody yesterday about how, you know, college baseball is a little bit weird where um, you play weekend series, and it was even particularly weird to go to Arkansas and play four games. And, you know, it's, it's one of the few sports where, you know, you play four games, one ten, team wins three, and both teams leave that weekend thinking, oh, they had a pretty good weekend. Like, that that mm-hmm. went about how we wanted it to. And, um, you know, for, for JMU with the upcoming schedule, I guess just how important are some of these series coming up in the weeks before they really get into uh, Sunbelt play and, and, and have some you know pretty interesting midweek games mixed in and in between? I think they're very important because I think I think it's – well, it was supposed to be 11 games before the one today. It was postponed. We'll see when that one gets thrown back in. It's 11 games that they should honestly – 10 games <laughs> they should win most of them, if not all. They can't – obviously – Baseball's hard to say to go win all of them because of how weird of a sport it can be. But I think it's important for them to go out and win these games that they're supposed to win and are should be favored to win because right when you open conference play, you're meeting Coastal Carolina down in South Carolina, and they're the team that's projected to win the Sun Belt right now. So to get as much momentum as you possibly can heading into that is going to be insanely important, especially with 
kind of the level of talent in this upcoming few weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for this team, this program right now, confidence plays a lot into it. And, you know, if you've been a winning program, you can look at on the softball side of things, Louisiana, people are like, oh, Louisiana's got a losing record. But, you know, they just they know they're going to be really good in the Sun Belt. They play a really tough schedule. No, Nobody inside that program is upset or panicking because they have a losing record right now um for jamie baseball i think it's a different situation they need to build some confidence in the non-conference season uh and you know win some games against teams like virginia tech and arkansas to prove to themselves they can compete in a really good conference and you know right now i think they probably have to be feeling pretty good about you know where they are relative to where they were picked in the Sun Belt uh preseason number 10 I think being around the team last week, they seemed to be feeling good. They seemed to be really excited with how how the season had started. But at the same time, when you talk to any of them, they're all still sitting there saying like, okay, yeah, we won, but like we still need to fix these things. We still need to hone in on this little issue that we're having. I think, you know, we got to Sunday. They had won two of their games already, obviously, their Saturday game. They won Sunday morning. But so we get to Sunday afternoon and Marlon Eikenberry is just then saying, oh, I think we finally started to look comfortable in the batter's box in this second game on Sunday when the entire week they had been hitting the ball really well. They had production up and down their lineup. But even that was something that they were still watching, trying to fix, even though they were winning games and feeling good about it. Yeah. Um, Across the other um, spring sports, um, on the, the softball side of things, they're also off to a pretty solid start. Although, I would say they probably some missed opportunities down in South Carolina over the weekend. Um, they they salvaged the, the tournament down there with a couple wins on Sunday um, South, against South Alabama and UMass. But they really had an opportunity to pick up some quality victories against South Carolina and twice against Charlotte. And, you know, left people on base – um, couldn't hold on to leads, um, got really, really good pitching the whole weekend and uh, had pitchers take some losses after some pr- pretty impressive performances. Peyton List and uh, and Alyssa Humphrey in particular, I thought, looked really good, put up really good numbers and end up not getting the wins, which is a little bit unfortunate, but probably a good sign for where they're heading. It's definitely something you can look at both ways and both like a negative. Okay, you left runners on, you lost the game by a couple runs, runners that you should have or could have been able to score. But then you can look at it as you went down, you played South Carolina in their home stadium, and you hung in there, you were leading for a while. So I think it definitely gives some perspective of what this team can look at look like in a few weeks, in a few months. And possibly, I know a lot of people were talking about it on social media, this is a team that potentially gets to a regional and can cause some issues again, which they've been known to do in the past. Which you look at, too, the lineup, everything else, it should be a team that improves throughout the season. Um, if, if Alyssa Humphrey, I think it's probably safe to say she's back to being the number one pitcher um i would think she's gonna get more and more comfortable being back in that role after you know missing a good chunk of last season with an injury um coming back getting used to pitching seven innings again which she's been asked to do a couple times now um i think i think you know that's probably a good sign and also just young players in the lineup you know they're getting great production from you know reed butler who's one of the veteran players and hit a couple home runs and really kind of sparked the offense to get those wins. 
Um, a little bit more up and down, I think, from some of the younger players in the order. I think they're going to get more and more comfortable just more and more at-bats say they get throughout the season. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things that just whenever you see a college pitcher longer, so if you're a JMU batter, the more often you see that college pitcher of any, it doesn't even have to be the same one over and over again, but you see the speed of it and you get adjusted to it, I think it's you're just going to get better as the season goes on. And not to jump back to baseball, but Eikenberry even said it, with some of the young players on baseball coming in and getting hits on the during the finale against Fairfield, he's like, they're getting more experience with what the arm angles look like from a pitcher, the speed, and he's like, that's only going to benefit them as the season goes on, and that's the same thing for softball right now, and I think give it a few weeks, you'll start hopefully seeing less runners left on base. Yeah, and, and from the pitching standpoint, I think right now they're kind of letting, you know, Humphrey or List or whoever – try to work through some things in late innings where maybe they get into conference play and their third, fourth time through the lineup, if there's any sign of struggles, maybe they make a switch. And, you know, you'll see teams in softball too um, say, hey, we're going to go two times through the order, make a switch, and then we'll bring back our ace for late innings. And that can throw a team off just like if you have people with different styles, like JMU happens to have with their pitching staff. So I think it's possible we'll see – the staff used differently as the season goes on. But here early on, I think it makes sense to see like, Hey, what are you going to do in the seventh inning in a pressure situation? Um, and see if they can kind of work through those things where, you know, maybe later on, if you're on the NCAA tournament bubble, you'll lament not closing it out against South Carolina or something. But like right now, I think you're just kind of trying to build towards, towards conference play to, to some degree. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know they're going to be disappointed with some of the ways the games ended, but I really do think the weekend down in South Carolina has a little bit more positivity to it than negativity. I think they're just there are a lot of good signs from the softball team right now. Yeah, and lots and lots of good signs from uh, lacrosse. Also, uh, getting their season started now, five and zero, scored forty one goals in two games uh, over the past week, which is just absolutely incredible. Especially when you factor in that. Um, for a game plus they were without you know Isabel Peterson who scored 91 goals last year and has kind of rewritten the record books as far as you know offense for for JMU lacrosse which was already an extremely good program even before she arrived um so yeah I don't know what else to say about you know women's lacrosse and they continue to roll and um up to number two in the country as you know it's been the season of national rankings for the year of national rankings for, for JMU sports. And none, nobody's been higher than, than the women's lacrosse team. The lacrosse team has been so fun to just kind of watch because even during Sunday's game against Albany, which I think it is important to say that Albany's record did not show how good of a program that is and how good of a team that is. It's a team that started the season ranked in the top 25 and then they played Three of their four first games were all against programs in the top 25, and they did lose them all. But there was a period. I think what really stood out to me about this lacrosse game on Sunday was that, one, you're down Isabella Peterson, so you need to kind of adjust to that, obviously. Like the every message that we've put out there, the lacrosse team is very deep at attack. So I don't think they were necessarily too worried about it. But, again, it's your star player. You need to worry about it a little bit. And so I think what really stood out was that 
they didn't look themselves in the first two quarters, and that can be some growing pains where you're playing without Isabella Peterson. But the way they responded in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter was just absolutely insane. Because, again, they didn't lead that game after the first couple of seconds. They didn't lead it again until right before the half, and then they came out in the second half and just absolutely dominated them. Yeah, and, you know, early on, too, I think, you know, maybe the big thing is that it wasn't necessarily – that they were they were scoring goals at a rate you would expect um, even without Peterson they were just letting Al- Albany you know match them goal for goal which um, they they cleaned that up later in the game and they had a run of, of six straight goals and I think about six minutes it was it was pretty incredible um, yeah people look at Albany they're zero and five now um, they've played several ranked teams including the top two teams in the country now Boston College and JMU. Um, and, you know, JMU actually beat them worse than, than Boston College, number one Boston College did. So, um, you know, hard, hard to necessarily get a ton out of comparing scores, but I think, I think from what we've seen so far, it's safe to say uh, JMU is legitimately one of the best teams in the country right now uh, in, in lacrosse. And if we want to give them anything, if there's, like, anything to maybe pick apart about them, and I 100% – would think that Shelly Clays would say this too, is that they still need to like hone in on their draw controls a little bit. They, I know it happened against Albany where Albany went up like several on them in draw controls. So mm-hmm. that's definitely something they, if there is a weakness right now on this team, it's the draw control because even the defense is performing better than I think a lot of people expected them to be performing at this point in the season. Because again, they're a relatively young group. Caitlin Bowden, a young starting goalkeeper has done well, has made some big saves already. So I think the one thing that maybe is just, okay, this could be an issue when you get into games like a Maryland UVA Richmond is the draw control battle. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, that that's definitely been an issue. They mixed in uh, freshman defender uh, Ava Beckley, uh, Blackley for um, the draws um, this past week without Bella, um, and she had a little bit of success. Um, you know, it's something that they definitely will have to address because you know, obviously, the thing about lacrosse is you can't score if you don't have the ball, and you aren't guaranteed to get the ball after the other team scores either. Yeah. So you you can. You can lose a lot of ground quickly in the sport, um, or you can, you know, go on a run like Jamie did to kind of, you know, put Albany away on Sunday. So those draw controls are, are extremely important, and you know, will, will be the difference between top teams when they when they get together, and they do they do have a tough schedule coming up. Which I mean, what the UNC game they didn't win the draw control battle, but JMU kept it close with UNC. So I think maybe it is one of those things when you meet a top team, there's like a different energy in the circle and the, when you're having a draw. So I don't think it's necessarily the biggest thing to worry about, but it's mm-hmm. definitely something to look at, especially with that Maryland game coming up. Yeah, it's a little like the rebounding margin in basketball is, you know, if you're a really, really good offensive team, as long as you keep it close in rebounding, you're going to be fine. There's other teams that like have to win the rebounding battle by, you know, a significant margin to really be at their best. And JMU's offense is so good. If it's, if it's pretty close in the draw controls, they score on a high number of their high percentage of their possessions. And um, really they just keep it close, but there are times where, you know, it seems like they're just not going to win another draw the rest of the game. And they usually kind of get it together, but, but that's, 
if there's one thing to kind of say this might be what trips them up along the way, it, it looks like it's the draw control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, transition a little bit. We'll briefly discuss a little football um, spring practice coming up in just a matter of weeks now at this point. Um, you know, always always hearing more and more about the new staff, things coming up. We got a sense of where the roster's going. This we can discuss briefly um, where um, somebody not on the roster is going. <laughs> you know, Jordan McLeod heading uh, within the Sun Belt over to Texas State. Were you surprised by the that news coming out uh, earlier this week? Yes, because it was just a random Tuesday in my mind. Where I, I think I walked away from my phone for five minutes and I had had his Twitter notifications on since he entered the portal just to like make sure I saw if he ever announced and it was getting to the point where I was expecting it to maybe come after spring practices and after a spring mm-hmm. semester announce it in the summer so it definitely was a little surprising when you look at the style of play that he has and what Texas State's offense has I think it makes sense I think it's a good fit for him They lost their quarterback to the portal. He ends up at Western Kentucky. So they were looking for a star. Obviously, I think it could be pretty interesting come next December. Like if he, you know, reigning Sun Belt player of the year can somehow get it done somewhere else too. Uh, I, I know a lot of people were maybe holding out hope that he would come back, which I think as soon as the spring semester started, I think it was pretty clear that, you know, Chesney and his staff had moved on. They had gone and they found Dylan Morris in the portal and they grabbed him out of it. And I think it was just one of those things that Jordan McLeod was kind of left without a spot. Would he have maybe preferred a bigger school with maybe more NIL deal? Possibly, especially after the season that he had. But I think it got to a point where, you know, teams are finding their quarterbacks. They're going to find them in spring football too. So I think he needed somewhere to land. And I think he found a place that is a good fit. And I think as weird as it is to lose the Sun Belt player of the year, and I think JMU's still kind of in a better position than they were a couple months ago. I think they have a good quarterback room right now. I think Morris can come in, bring a lot for a season, and then there is a great group of young quarterbacks behind him. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too. You mentioned NIL. um, And I think think he made it pretty clear to JMU he was – looking for something along those lines and you know there's all kinds of rumors about you know group of five teams aren't going to be able to keep their star quarterbacks because they're going to get a million dollars at a power five program and you know there's never been any kind of verification that that's like actually the kind of money that players are getting and i think this kind of just goes to show that that's probably not likely happening you know at least for everybody it's, it's not you know a guarantee that players are getting paid that much and you know i was i guess i was sort of surprised by the timing of it but if you if you were looking at it if he was going to wind up somewhere like you said before spring practice ended it it pretty much had to be texas state almost like Mm -hmm. just looking at where everybody else is across the country they're the team that you know fits what he's able to do and and has an opening right now and so a little bit surprised maybe that he didn't wait, that Texas State didn't wait to see what happened after the um, after the spring practice. But at the same time, it does it does make sense for both parties. If that there – Texas State also, I guess, apparently has these eight-week um, academic periods that he was able to enroll in now even though the semester started. So the fact that it works out too in that regard, I think, um, is something probably – 
I wasn't aware of that that was an option at Texas State. And that also makes it make a lot more sense that he's able to do it now. And I do want to kind of go back to a lot of people I had seen chatter on social media and they were like, well, maybe were the conversations not great with the new staff? Did they not see eye to eye on things? And I don't think that necessarily could. I mean, maybe it is. But at the same time, I think a lot of it could come down to McLeod wanted to see what his options were out there in case like more NIL money, something like that. And then it also comes down to the fact that this new staff that comes into JMU, they can't sit there and wait for Jordan McLeod to give them an answer. They can't wait until February, March. They have to go out and make sure that they're in the best case scenario to succeed next season. And so for them, that was to go to the transfer portal and find someone who was available. They did. And at that point, I think if you're McLeod, you're looking back at JMU and being like, okay, well, even if there was a, even if they wanted me as an option at quarterback, I don't necessarily want to go back to a team that has another guy that only has a year left of eligibility that's coming from the reigning, or not the reigning, the runners up at the national championship. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, I don't think there was a ton of conversation between the new staff yeah. and, and Jordan McLeod. I mean, I think from, from what I've heard is, you know, they talked to him and his father, told him that, you know, he was welcome to come back. He wanted to explore his options and then they didn't really hear much after that. And, yeah, like you said, they go out and they sign, um, they sign somebody else, and that was that. And you know, both sides moved on, and I think both sides are going to be fine, you know, moving forward after that. And there was, from what I've heard too, there was a pr- a pretty strong emphasis on from the new staff that we need to we need to know your de- decision pretty soon after the bowl game. Like again, like I said, you ca- they can't sit there and wait. So I think there was a pretty quick. Hey, we'll give you guys some time, but if you're not telling us by this date, we need to look somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you know, moving on from football a little bit, we'll have plenty more to talk about as uh, spring practice um, gets closer. We can break down, you know, position groups and everything that we're looking forward to seeing there. But right in the heat of uh, the end of the regular season for basketball, um, both teams, men and women, uh, assured to be. In the quarterfinals, got the double by in the uh, Sun Belt tournament now, but have two fairly important regular season games remaining. Even even with that, um, even with that, you know, being the case for JMU, the men, they if they continue to win, they're still in the bubble conversation. They're not necessarily in the NCAA tournament right now, but they're in the conversation. And what what happens elsewhere across the country will make a difference as long as JMU continues to win up until the the Sun Belt Championship game. I never really expected the term March Madness to apply to JMU basketball at points, but I think there is about to be some serious madness. Um, I know the conversation about an at-large bid, bid for them, the men's team has continued to grow in the last week or two. And I know some people have been putting out their predictions of like the last four in and the first four out. And I did see one that had Michigan state as the last four in. And then Jamie was one of the last four out. Yeah. And I think obviously, yeah, they need to win games. They just need to keep winning. Ignore all of that outside chatter, because I think in a week, it could be an interesting conversation that's going down about, do they make it again? If they don't win the tournament, do they make it or are they, one, but I think regardless, if they don't win the tournament, I think they very well could be one of the first four out on a lot of different people's boards. Yeah, and you know, interestingly, if they're one of the first four outs on the official, um, the official bracket selection, 
um, then they're automatically hosting an NIT game. So that's something also to kind of keep an eye on. If they if they continue to be just on the bubble, that sets them up for something that hasn't happened in this program in a long time. And let's not ignore the fact that they are one of the teams very, very capable of winning the Sun Belt tournament. And then mm-hmm. all, all this is moot. If they do do that, they're going to the NCAA tournament and they'll likely be um, a decent seed, like you know, probably in like the 12 seed range if they win the Sun Belt tournament. And you know, we've seen 12 seeds win games in the NCAA tournament. I think it's a very interesting place that they're in right now because I think regardless of where they end up, if they end up in the NCAA tournament or if they end up in the NIT, I think JMU men's basketball can make some noise in either one, yeah. which I think is a really cool level for this program to be at. And I know that some people, you know, it's in their eyes, it's NCAA tournament or bust. But I will say. The NIT tournament can do a lot for an athletic program. I still remember when the Jamie women's team went in the WNIT a few years ago and made a really, really deep run. That was some of the most electric basketball I had seen in the convo. So I think it's, regardless of where they end up, I think there's still some good basketball ahead for this team. Yeah, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the strength of schedule, like they're beating teams bad enough to move up because they're not playing the best teams in the country. Um, be, be interesting to see like what the selection committee ultimately ends up having to say about JMU once they, you know, meet and then come out and justify their decisions. You you can look at JMU a variety of ways. Yes, they they've racked up the record they have against a not strong schedule. They also they've beaten <clears throat> good teams. If you look at you know maybe other bubble teams like such an Indiana State. JMU's done better against common opponents than Indiana State has. Indiana State's not necessarily like right on the bubble anymore, but that's a, been a comparable team throughout the season. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, they've won the games. Their strength of record is pretty solid because if you win 26 games out of 29, like your record's really good. I and mean, even if you're not playing great teams, not many teams would win 26 against the schedule JMU has played. So it's. It's going to be an interesting debate about, you know, how you view a team like JMU. No one – they have 26 wins right now. They have two games left in the regular season, and, you know, ideally they play three games in the Sun Belt Tournament. The most teams – the most wins anybody's ever had and been left out is 28. They could, they could yeah. surpass that. It's a real and then And then really put some pressure on the – selection committee to say are we leaving somebody with 29 or 30 wins out of the tournament I think and it's hard too because strength of schedule is such a weird obviously it's going to be argued about there's reason to argue about it but it's also a weird thing to argue about to me at times because when it comes down to it most of the time you only have so much say over what your schedule is going to look like and how strong it's going to be you can make your team as strong as it is as strong as you want it to be And then another team in your conference maybe just can't get a strong team. So that's going to hurt your strength of schedule. So it it sucks for a program like JMU right now where it's like, okay, we just happened to have the schedule. We didn't have a huge say in how strong it was. But they went out and they won the games they needed to win. And I think that says a lot. And obviously, and they won big games. I know Michigan State maybe wasn't what everybody expected them to be this year, especially early in the season. But JMU, they still went on the road in East Lansing and – in a Big Ten school that has a history of being really, really good, and they got the win. So I think some of these big wins, I think, need to kind of 
maybe outweigh what the rest of the strength of schedule looks like if it's coming down to like the really, really nitty gritty things in the selection committee? Yeah, I mean, if you if you boil it down to, you know, Michigan State, like look at them. They're, they haven't been a top 25 AP team for a long time, but they've been a top 25 net team like sort of the entire season. And that that's what is going to be looked at. That is still a very solid victory um, if you're going to look at what the selection committee looks at. It's only one, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately for JMU, if you want to have the victories that, you know, you quote-unquote call resume victories, you schedule a home-and-home home with Buffalo, never expecting in a million years that Buffalo would be one of the worst teams in the country. Like, that was a really solid program for a long time um, and just uh, completely fell off a cliff. And, you know, you schedule that. I, I can tell you for a fact that when JMU scheduled that, it was to improve the strength of schedule and didn't ended up making the strength of schedule worse. You, you get in a tournament that has Fresno State, you're expecting a top 100 type team, and they're not there. You play Kent State on the road, you're expecting a top 100 team, and they're not there. You you play ODU three times. ODU has not been as bad as they are this year in a long time. Um, you know, they didn't come in expecting to have a great schedule, but I expected it, I think, maybe to be pretty solid given you had Michigan State and all those teams in your non-conference. Yeah, they knew Coppin State's not going to be there, but everybody schedules some of those games. Yeah, and I think schedules can be made in these deals with teams can be so far in advance that you get to the year, like you said, and it's like, hold up. This isn't who I scheduled three years ago. Like, what is going on? And so I think that's why strength of schedule is such a weird thing to have such a large emphasis on when it comes down to scheduling or when it comes down to seeding teams and putting them in the tournament. Because at the same time, like I said – it's March Madness. If they make the NCAA tournament, JMU is a team that can just it can, they can be a bracket buster. They can mess up some other teams' maybe longer runs that they had been dreaming about for a while. I think JMU could be that team that just kind of screws it over, messes it up for other people. Yeah, on the women's side, their team that is you know like like many mid majors, they're not thinking about uh, not thinking about at large bids. There are right now, it's all about building towards. Pensacola and making a run that they did last year um they're you know similar circumstances they ended up tying for first last year but it was a four-way tie so in third place this year is not that much different it just happened to be a Marshall team that ran away with it um and Jamie's shown that they're you know one team that is capable of beating this Marshall team if they're healthy big question as Jamie gets into their final two regular season games um when and at what level will they get Susha Kozlova and Heaven Bristow back? Those are two key players. I, d- I think they need at least one, if not both of them, healthy and playing well if they're going to win three games in Pensacola. Yeah, I think you mentioned it the other week. Like Bristow obviously comes off the bench. She's not a starter, but is a difference maker when it comes to attitude on the court, kind of the presence that she brings to the court. So they're they're gonna want her back because she brings such great play from the bench, and then obviously Susha, like that's a huge loss. I know, you, like we've talked about a few times, the story you wrote of kind of every game starts with it seems like a play down to her bucket, quick lead. So to have those players out, it's definitely it's it's not gonna help them in the long run, obviously. And I think 
to lose them both so late in the regular season is also a pretty big loss because it gives you even less time to kind of figure out what you have without them in a game in game action before getting into the tournament. Yeah, and th- those are not the two best players in the Sun Belt. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Susha might be in the top 10 potentially depending on how you want to break it down, but you know, neither one of them's the best player in the Sun Belt. Neither one's in, in contention for Sun Belt player of the year. But I think if you asked coaches like who are two of the toughest players to game plan against and match up with and you know, stop doing what they do well. I think they're probably in the top five of the discussion, mm-hmm. like just around the league. You know, Heaven Bristow's way more athletic than your typical Sunbelt guard. You know, she plays up around the rim sometimes and, you know, uh, gets a lot of rebounds and gets draws fouls and gets shots off that other people at her position in the Sunbelt conference just don't. And Susha's a 6 4 center. There are other 6 4 centers in the Sunbelt, but none with her package of post moves and ability to run the floor and things that she does. Jamie doesn't have to slow down when they play big if she's in the lineup. And a lot of teams in the Sun Belt have to slow things down if they're playing their biggest players. And I think that makes a huge difference for JMU. If they can get her back, you know, I I think they'd like to get her back for at least one game this week before the regular season ends. But if they have her in Pensacola, that's going to be a huge difference maker. Absolutely. I think ideally they want both back, but I I think Susha's kind of maybe the one you want back sooner because of just the presence she can bring right at the start of the game. And I think it's, I I don't know. I'm, I think watching kind of the, this team the last few weeks, it's really hard to kind of project what I think they're going to do in the tournament. If these players aren't coming back, obviously with Peyton McDaniel, if she starts hitting shots, you know, that's going to benefit your team, whether or not these players are on the court. But for the overall team aspect and what they can look like as a team to have Susha and Bristow back, like that's you, – you need to get them back somehow. Yeah. And by the time we come back here next week, we'll know exactly where uh, both teams are seated for the Sun Belt tournament, um, you know, what their outlook looks like there, and we'll get deep into a preview of, you know, postseason basketball for both JMU men and women. But in the meantime, it's about time to wrap it up. You've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin. I've been here with Katie Harper, and thank you for listening.